If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Lorianne. She's originally from France and moved out to Australia with the man that she thought she was going to start a family with. Unfortunately, things didn't work out as planned, and instead she became a solo mum by choice to her beautiful daughter, Chloe. Can't wait for you to hear her story. So welcome, Lorianne, to the podcast this, this evening, um, or whatever time anybody's listening to it anyway. I would love Thank to you. start um, just getting a bit of background as to what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Um, okay, so thank you for hosting me. Um, so my story, uh, so I guess I never thought I would become a single mom by choice um, because I had big, big plans to have a family like probably most of you. Um, but so I came to Australia about 11 years ago and I came here with a partner that was, we were together for like seven years when we came to Australia and it was pretty much on the, uh, on the challenge to each other. So um, he wanted to go to America for doing an MBA and I wanted to come to Australia because I came here when I was 15 and I loved it and I wanted to come back. Um, and so we came to Australia and he really resented me for that choice oh. because he never really tried to discuss it with me that it, it was not part of his plan and he would rather do something else. Yeah. So, but before coming here, he just proposed because he didn't want me to leave France because I'm French with my background. Um, he didn't want me to leave friends for Australia without the ring basically I was his property and yeah anyway um came in here I came six months in advance and he struggled to find an MBA here and it was not with the recognition that he would have hoped it was not the American MBA mm -hmm. so with the years passing by we came to 2012, we started to fight and we just split up because he told me that he didn't love me. So I was just like, yeah, no, 
that's your problem. So I'm leaving. I was paying for everything because he didn't have a job. So I was paying for the rent, for the food, and he was paying for his MBA. So that was good. Uh, <laughs> um, so we split it up. And then two months after that, he started to come back. And I was just like, ah, oh, I could see myself with him. Uh, starting a family it was um red almost red hair so I was just like picturing the family looking yeah it was great so I started to tell him yeah but you need to to work for it so for three months we just had like first dates and it was really great um and we moved back together um but we kind of never really shared the bed so we had two bedrooms and he was sleeping in one bedroom and I was sleeping and I was not letting him in yeah so I was really really feeling angry about this whole thing and it took me a good year and a half to let him back in and it was about the time that he started to go in those his own way and I found out afterwards that he was seeing somebody so um in 2015 we split for good but it was kind of pushing me outside as well because now he had a big job after after his MBA he had another girl waiting so I was useless for him so yeah 15 was a really dramatic year for me um all my plan and the the family that I was picturing just fell through so I was just like yeah falling apart um 2016 I started to travel the world for three months um I went from Canada the U.S. South America it was super great I found my new love of traveling um and then I started to date the wrong guy so when I came back to Australia I was dating people that were like five years less than me so they were not ready to start a family and whenever I was talking about it that was the end of it so I think I was looking for those relationships for that only purpose that I could not get what I wanted. And it, it slowly pushed me towards thinking, oh, maybe I should just start with freezing my eggs mm-hmm. um, because a few friends around me were doing this. So I was just like, okay. Um, and then um, I started to see an IVF doctor and he basically said, because I have PCOS, so yeah. I also found out that when we went back together with my ex, um, long-term ex. And I was like, maybe we should start a family. And we went to see the doctor and we discovered that I had PCOS. Uh, But I went alone to those appointments, which was probably a good sign already that he was not looking to get involved more. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh yeah I discovered I had PCOS so when I saw the IVF specialist he mentioned a few times but why you think about freezing your eyes you're 35 I was 34 35 at the time and so why are you not thinking about doing it alone I was like oh no I'm not ready no 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 I'm still hoping to find the right guy that's why I want to freeze my eggs so let's move on And then in 2019, I guess, um, my grandma died in France, followed three weeks afterwards by my granddad, but from two sites, different sites. Anyway, my maternal grandma and my paternal granddad. So, and it kind of pushed me to the age. And I was just like, 
time is going so fast and I don't have any time to lose. And I was 36, 35 by that time. And I was like, yeah, maybe this IVF doctor is right. And I should just think about going by myself. Um, so when I came back to Australia after the funerals, um, I just put myself on the list for IVF to get um, on the donor list mm-hmm. um, because he already had explained everything. So I just had all the cards in my hands. So I was like, okay, um, they say six months waiting list for sperm donor. Okay. So why not get on that list? And I can still adjust it in six months when I'm made it to the list. So that was July, 2019. Mm-hmm. And by I think early October, I got a call and they said, "Oh, you made it to the list, so you have access to it. You just need to do your two session with a psychologist." So, okay, fine. So let's do it. Um, and then by the mid October, it was pretty much all done. I think, or maybe I did the psychologist in between while I was waiting for the sperm donor list. Yeah. Um, but by mid October, I had made the list and. I started to look through and I didn't make like a big night out of it because I don't think I told many friends that I was starting this process because all my friends are either in a couple with kids already or they are five years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a strange group of friends that I have got. Um, And the other one are not ready to have kids anytime soon. So it was just like doing this on my own, a bit secretive. Um, and I was really disappointed the first time I saw that list, I must say, because it was uh, for New South Wales, there were like maybe 15 to 20 donors. And they were all and, Australian donors or did you have access to overseas as well? Um, so it was a mix, but there was not many um, US guys. There was maybe one or two. But you know that when they explain it to you before that, but when you choose the American, it's $10,000. Well, for a New South Wales, then uh, Australian donor, um, it is $800. So I was just like, (laughs) yeah, it's quite a difference. So I was like, I'll start maybe with Australian. And if nothing came out of it, I may be investing for American. But yeah, I don't have that money it's as expensive as the whole IVF process for me so it was kind of doubling the budget and I was like "Mm, maybe not so um, I went on that list and when you make the criteria you need to choose if you're a single mom if you're in a couple same sex different sex so um, and that decreased the list of daughter already Mm -hmm. because you're a single mom um, and then when you look in these, all you can see that some donor had, I don't know, one of them had cancer in a young age. So even though they say it's not genetic, you just can't think about it, can't stop thinking about it. So you just basically know, you put that away. And doing this exercise, I came to zero donor that I liked or that had no history of diseases or anything Um, because I removed um, also all the um, Asian uh, donor or Indian. So that also removed a lot of them. So that's why, because I just thought I would like my daughter to just look a little bit like me and therefore not to be too big of a mix. 
So I was really disappointed and I kept looking every day on it because they told me that they, they unfreeze some sperm every day or when somebody take out a sperm donor from that list, they unfreeze some new ones. So they put back okay. names on the list of donor. So I was looking every day. Sometimes I was even looking twice a day. I was becoming crazy. <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, that was really hard that time to do work at the same time. I was just like too much in my head. Um, and I remember it was 27 of October. I look at it and there was a new donor and it was like a match. Yeah. Um, I immediately saw it and you have a picture of them in a young age. So I um, I look at the picture, I was like, okay, yeah, why not? And then I start looking and he has um, Greek uh, background. Mm -hmm. So he's Australian, but with, his mom is Greek. Um, his dad is Irish um, and he has two sisters and he's a psychologist. And I was just like, and he wrote something because they can write something to the future kid. and. It was something along the lines, um, be yourself, trust yourself. And I was like, okay, I'm done. That's it. Done. Yeah. yeah. I picked it. Um, I selected it. And then, yeah, it was still available. So I got it. And so, which is funny, the 27th of October, because this is actually the date of birth of my daughter a year later. Oh, wow. I, I was wondering why you yeah, the date so much. Yeah. I looked for it because I was like, I need to write down, like, in she has a book for the first year of her life. So, and I wrote in it and I wanted to have the date and I found out and I was like, oh my God, this is just amazing. So that's, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we once selected the donor. I um, I went to see the doctor and we started treatment. And basically, I think early December, I had the eggs um, taken with surgery because I have PCOS. It was a fine line to, um, to deal with the hormones and to the point that I went into hyperstimulation. So they took the eggs, but we couldn't do a fresh transfer because I went over... And I got 29 eggs. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Removed. So that was a lot. Um, yeah. I think most people I was, with PCOS, even if they don't go hyperstimulation, they often don't do a fresh transfer just in case, do they? Yeah. Don't want to risk no. it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. But you can't um, avoid being disappointed. I was really like, I'm in the process. I want it now. I don't want to wait. So, oh, well. I had to wait and it was good because um, that year, so 2019, we planned to go to Tasmania with a group of friends and there was a guy that I really liked, uh -huh. um, really liked, no, but we were going around each other um, and so we went to Tasmania and we had fun, so <laughs> you, you understand what I mean. I do, um, I do. <laughs> Except for the part that it was already with somebody and oh. I was not I wouldn't say not aware but I think I didn't want to hear it or something so anyway it was just for fun a few nights and then back to Australia back to real life um and for a PCOS girl that doesn't have a period more than twice a year basically yeah. my period came back right away on the 15th of January I think 
So I called the IVF center and I was just like, this is incredible. I have my period. Let's just do the transfer. Then. Yeah. So we started with stimulation and um, I think the transfer was made on the 20, I think 26th of January, like Australia Day, something like that, or 27. And um, yeah, it worked. First transfer, it worked immediately. So um, wow. I had to wait like most of everybody the two weeks wait that was horrible yeah you keep looking for signs you keep looking for everything but yeah um not many people were aware still that I was doing it Mm -hmm. um my sister was aware but my mom my dad my brother no had you told Uh, them that you were considering it and you just didn't tell them you were going through it or yeah, that I was considering it because, yeah, with the death of my grandma, I was thinking about it, but never did I tell them that I, I started the removal of the eggs or that um, I had chosen the sperm donor, never. So a few friends, maybe two or three here in Australia knew. My I have one good colleague that knew about it, um, but that was it. So at the end of the two weeks, it was a Friday I did the blood test and I was waiting for the results and I, I didn't do a test by myself. I just like, no, I don't want to have the disappointment or yeah, I don't know how I hold it, but yeah, no, didn't do it. Um, and I got the call at lunchtime and she's just like, she was an amazing nurse, IVF Australia. And yeah, Stephanie, I will, I'm loving her. Yeah. <laughs> so, and she called me and she said, yeah, that's a positive. Congratulations. And I was just like in the middle of lunch at work, I got the call and I came back to the table with a big smile and my colleague just like, uh-huh. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think so she was probably already pregnant herself, um, six months, yeah. six months pregnant. So we really wanted to do that together, but, yeah, she got pregnant before I, before myself. So, yeah. But, Still pretty um, close to play dates when they're older. That's fine. I know. I know. So, um, and yeah. And then, um, so I became aware I was pregnant on the 21st of February or something like this, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then early March, COVID happened and we were all <laughs> close at home. And because I just, I always get sick, especially with the lungs and yeah. So I asked my boss indirectly if I could stay home. I didn't want to get any COVID at all. So knowing that I was pregnant, so she agreed based on the long list of sick leave that I had taken. So she was like, yeah, no, I understand. So stay home. Um, And then, yeah, so that was me by myself in an apartment. Um, Yeah having no year for the first trimester. Um, Just getting slowly bigger and nobody could see you. <laughs> I know. It was great. Um, I announced it to my parents. So my sister was aware. I made my, I, I announced it to my brother. And same thing he has. Uh, his wife was pregnant by six months or five months already. So she has a cousin that is five months older than um, Chloe. Um, and then I told my parents, um, I sent a balloon that yeah. was saying, it's a girl with a message. You can have three grandchildren, girls. 
um, in, one in Sydney uh, in October. And so they didn't realize, they thought it was a balloon for the cousin that was coming, but it was just like, no, read the text, read the text. <laughs> and so it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, and then mm, pregnancy just happened to be quite smooth for me. No, yeah. not much um, problems with it. Um, the placenta was over, so I couldn't feel any kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was probably the little disappointment of this whole pregnancy. I would have loved to feel her more. Um, but anyway, that was um, that was it. Um, I always dreamt to name her Sarah, but I don't know. Something changed. And that's my mum's name, I, and everyone calls her Sarah, so maybe that's why. I, and so I just changed my mind, and I was just like, no, it's not going to be a Sarah, so it's going to be Chloe. I don't know what, and then I didn't know any Chloe in Sydney, and as soon as I picked the name um, on my own, then I had friends that presented me to Chloe's, and I was like, come on, no, no. <laughs> my name, Chloe. I want her to be unique or something, oh, but no. But there were the other Chloe was adorable, so that confirmed the choice that I had made. So, um, and yeah, I just wanted I, I prepared for natural birth, but like everything that you prepare, nothing happens the way you would like to. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just the day. Um, because it's an IVF pregnancy, which probably you you know that, um, but they call you a geriatric mother, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so they really, um, they want you to give birth um, no later than your due date. Yeah. And so I try to push for... Um, to go over it, but the doctor would keep saying, "No, you're gonna have a still um, baby, um, stillborn." And I was just like, "No, no, don't say that to me." And so at some point, the hormones take over, and you just like you start crying in the consultation room, and you just like, "Yeah, do whatever you want, but don't say that word again." So that's um, a that's a pretty harsh. Um, yeah, no, I, I found the end really traumatizing, really. Were you because public or private for that? Public, yeah. So I went into here in Sydney. We have what we call the um, oh, I can't remember the name, but um, you, you can be with a pool of midwife, and you also have a list of um, people or pregnant women that can be followed by just one midwife. So it's mm-hmm. like a kind of private midwife group. Um, so I got this because I was a single mom. I pushed f- to ask for it and I got it. Um, but the midwife that presented herself like, I'm your best ally. You're going to see at the end, it's so important. She was the first one to say stillborn. And I was just like, come on, please be on my side. And then she asked doctors to come in and they just say the same thing. And I was just like, okay, okay, let's do it. So I waited really until the last day. And on the 26th of October, I was induced, but the two first um, didn't work. And so um, they started again on the 27th, which was the due date. And um, I started the work, um, but 
So um, they, it, it didn't work really. Uh, so I was um, having probably contraction, but I'm not even sure that were contraction. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, for three hours, and there was no progress in the um, dilation. So um, at some point, the midwife is like, oh, you need to, um, I need to break the water. Um, so I was not keen for it. But as soon as she um, broke it, a lot of fluid came out, of course, but the cord came first. And then they couldn't see it at first, but then a lot of people came into the room and they found that the cord of Chloe was coming out of um, my vagina. Yeah. And so um, with her head, she was pressing on it, so stopping any supply of everything to herself. Right. So it's a cord prolapse. It happens, I don't know, with 5%, 2% of the births. So um, it's a Caesar emergency C-section. So in like two seconds, I was in <laughs> the big room and I was going under for a full <laughs> GA, general anesthetic. Oh, you so, actually had a GA for it as well. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I woke up, I woke up, I don't know, at seven o'clock at night and she was born at um, 3.53. So yeah, I missed a lot of it. Wow. So yeah. she's here and she's in one piece and that's all that matters, isn't it? That's all that matters. And she had a bit of fluid in her lungs. So they brought her to um, neonatal um, departments so, and she stayed there. Um, uh, but I, I think at 10 p.m. they removed all the tubes. So that was a good sign. She just needed to feed. Um, so I presented the breast, which I wanted really to breastfeed her. And it worked, but um, I needed to have um, the shields because she wouldn't grab the nipple um, the right way. And even though it, she didn't have enough feed, so she stayed in IQ for probably a good uh, a good three days, mm -hmm. I think, three or four days, until they were satisfied that she was taking on weight. And I probably blocked, or the surgery blocked my sciatic nerve. So I was having, like, painful um crazy it was rushing through and I couldn't stand with her in my arms I had to lay down so we stayed a bit longer in hospital as well for that so I probably stayed all together 10 days which yeah and then by the end of it I was scared of going home yes um, yeah I had stairs at home I didn't have a lift and with the c-section you're not allowed to drive so it was kind of a whole thing Nothing was going the right way that I wanted. So, um, and because of COVID, I thought we couldn't get visits. Um, but I found out at the end of my journey there that I could have had people. So I think, anyway, it was not going the way, but I was happy with the baby. So it's kind of a mixed balance of everything. Like I was happy to find her and she was a red hair. Which oh, was the fun part. So <laughs> as soon as I woke up, the, the midwife came to me and she's a red hair. You've never seen that, and it's amazing. And okay, okay, all right. What matters is that she's fine. So um, yeah, okay, great. And so, but she's really a red hair girl. So, and by looking into it, I found that so the 
the dad of the donor is Irish and he was a red hair with blue eyes, which is what Chloe's red hair and blue eyes. So I was really lucky because there is no blue eyes on my side of the genetic. So So how did you find those first few days once you got home from hospital, obviously with the Caesar, with stairs and everything else? Did you have good support or did you just have to try and make do given it was strange? COVID times? No, so I ha- I anticipated a little bit because I booked a doula. So I had a doula for the birth and I also wanted a doula mostly for the postpartum, um, but there was no doula available to do both. So I came, came to the decision of having two different doulas, which could have worked. Um, but so the one used during the birth really helped with not much because three hours of work she came in the middle of it maybe not even so she didn't do much before I went into c-section so okay and the second one she came to the hospital and she was helpful with the breastfeeding a little bit Mm -hmm. but then I found out when I came home my friends were more useful than her so because she would came and I don't know, maybe I don't express myself very well, or maybe I didn't at that time, but she would came in and she would be like, oh, I'll take Chloe. You can go and have a shower. That's fine. I came out of the shower with the fire alarm because she had put toast in the toaster and she burned them. Oh, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> the stress. Yeah, <laughs> the stress of it you came out of your shower your baby you don't know where it is and anyway and then she would stay with Chloe and I would be like okay I'm gonna put like a, a washing machine and the washing machine is at the bottom of the building so I had to come down to level of stairs and she would say oh yeah yeah, yeah okay go go and I was like she could have offered to, me, yeah. yeah do it for me or like I don't know um she wouldn't ha- um she say oh I can't drive you back from the hospital which is the main thing that I asked her at the start and I was like I need somebody to drive me back from the hospital because you never know but at the time I didn't know I would have a c-section but I was like you need to drive me from the hospital and when I employed her she said yeah but came the time that I was to book her to come back she was like oh no no, 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 I can't. It's an insurance thing. I'm just like, tell me come that on. The beginning then. Yeah, tell me that. So then I had to arrange for my friend to come pick my car. And it was a whole thing. So, um, um, and at some point she couldn't come. So she sent one of her doula friend. And I actually connected more with that person because she was really just showing me how things were, how best that could do something like give the bath yeah because they show you in the hospital but it's a different thing when you come at home um and same thing for the breastfeeding everybody has the techniques um so yeah the the other one were really like better and um one day she came and had a huge migraine and she's just like go later i'll stay with chloe i will go on the um 
on the with the prime with her that's fine i can and i totally trusted her i needed it and yeah she came back an hour and a half later and i was feeling much better and i knew that chloe was safe with her i trusted her so yeah at the end it worked but mostly there were my friends that the first day i came back from the hospital they filled my fridge up and i had prepared some meals as well um in advance so i knew that what postpartum could look like um, because I listened to a lot of podcasts especially French podcasts at the time about postpartum and etc so yeah I had prepared um, we did a big Sunday with some friends to do batch of um, lentils dal a lot of things like that vegetables so I just had to unfreeze a lot and that Sounds was like a so really nice lovely. way to spend a Sunday afternoon as well. Yes. Next when you're pregnant, you can't drink, but it's just like kind of nice too. So now I'm just like, I have friends that are pregnant at the moment. And I'm just like, I can't wait for us to book a day and just go and cook for them to kind of pay back for what they did. So mm. um, yeah, I think it's really, really nice to do that gesture because they don't need more teddy bears for their baby. They just need time. For them so yeah and just that nice little quality time before they get the baby as well yeah you, know, you can only ever be in half a conversation after that point so <laughs> they can exactly pay attention on that's really nice way to spend the afternoon i love that so yeah um yeah that was it and then time flew by um really because when the little it's just the first week we spent it in the hospital so the the card for the first week it was actually taken in the hospital yeah. um and then yeah at she was four months and we flew back to france because oh, wow. i, I intended yeah i got home because yeah. with the whole covid i was just like okay i need to present her to the family i'm on mat leave i'm spending a huge amount on rent um well I'm only paid two months of maternity leave with my company. Yeah. So I might as well give everything back, put everything in storage and go back to France. I won't have to pay anything in France. I'm home with my parents. Well, so the plan was, and my sister was getting married um, in June. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I left in February. I will come back in July, start back work in August. Fine, all well. Uh, but with COVID, then um, my sister's wedding got delayed and delayed. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I'm enjoying this. So I might as well stay for the summer in France. Yeah. And then it's going to be the first year uh, birthday of Chloe. I might as well spend it with the family. Then it's Christmas. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up staying until 6th of January of this year um, yeah. with the family. Um we did the christening as well with the little cousin of Chloe um, together. So it was just lovely to stay with them and this whole time. Um, but, yeah. You're so, very lucky that you were able to get back and I yeah, guess putting yeah. everything in storage and having nothing here, you could spend that time and just keep extending it. What a wonderful start to Chloe's life. Yeah, I know. And for my parents as well, because they got to enjoy every step of the way because the four months, they're still like a really little baby. Yeah. And then when we left France, she was walking so they could see and witness everything. Mm-hmm. So it was just the perfect thing. I'm really glad I did it. Honestly, I was just like, that's the 
best choice ever made. So after having Chloe, but yeah. And so now you're back and you're back at work as well and adjusting to life in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that first month back home, even still now, I guess it's just been crazy and not in the right way because three days after landing in Sydney, she st- started to have end mouth, uh, end, end foot mouth disease. Yeah, hand foot mouth. Yeah. Yep. So she probably caught it on the plane because we were staying, we had babies over like near us. Mm-hmm. So she started having a lot of pimples everywhere. And I'm just like, what the hell is it? Like, what could she get? So ended up in the ER because she wouldn't feed anymore. And it was all over the body. So it was just like, crazy even in the hospital they did never seen that strong form of it so um and then I was worried that all these pimples would never disappear even when dry on the skin we we could still see them a month after it so but they finally getting um uh, they finally disappearing so that's a good thing but um and then she started daycare mid-January I guess and as any new baby going to daycare, they get sick. Mm-hmm. And I feel that since mid-January, we've been sick and sick and sick and sick. So, and we're still sick this week. <laughs> so <laughs> it's probably like tiring in that sense that there is no relay, like nobody can take over. And um, you always think that you have COVID and then you test and you're not positive so you're always negative but it's still there's nobody coming or offering to just take care for one or two hours while you have a nap or while you do the things that you can't do when she's with you so yeah having no family here is probably the hardest part of this is when she's sick because but it's okay uh, I think yes at some point it will have to stop being sick and I need to strengthen their immunity system so yeah. For now, I'm still in the middle of it, and I'm just like, I'm out. <laughs> Did you end up with like a mother's group or anything, though, or not? Because you went back to France. Um, so we had a mother group um, after the birth. So I really enjoyed those meetings for the first four months. Um, and when I came back, I tried to get in touch, and we actually meeting I think on Sunday oh, with nice. a few of them. But a lot of them have moved to different areas or even different countries. So um, it's not the whole group. I think I'm seeing one mom and a bub. So it's just really limited. But yeah, I really liked it. Um, yeah, it was great. It was, yeah. What do I remember of this massive group? Because I, I found that like really good for support, especially when you are by yourself. And if you've got some weird question, like Charles doing something and you can put it on like the watch. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, my definitely. Too. And whatever else, that's good if you've got that. And then I found um, through daycare, it's taken a bit of effort because we were locked down for so long to build those relationships, but now getting some really strong support networks through that as well. So with the mom of the other babs or yeah. mom and dad. Yeah. yeah. I don't have that. And I think this is, um, what is missing is that I don't even know the name of the other children that attends daycare with her. So it, we are not at this stage. And I don't know. I meet a lot of the parents, but you never, 
or maybe I'm too shy to start a conversation for that. And I probably regret that part, but it's just, I don't know. I need to make an effort probably for Chloe uh, because I think it's a good idea, but it's just, so daycare is like 20 minutes away from mm. um, our home and there is no real transport to go there. So I, it's a 20 minutes walk with the pram and we had huge amount of rain late oh, yeah. as well, yeah. which can explain probably why we are still sick is that, yeah, I, we, we went 20 minutes in, 20 minutes out every day with the rain. So it was to the point that the pram was really <laughs> filled with water. Oh, so, you know, the, the back underneath is full of water. So it, it took a long time to dry. Um, all my shoes were like <gasps> filled with water and everything. So, but anyway, we're getting there. Ooh, it just takes time. <laughs> and then you've got a big adjustment to make because you're only just come back into the country as well. You haven't had that normal yeah. time on maternity leave to, to work it out because you've been yeah. having a fabulous life in uh, France instead. <laughs> and having support. But saying that is just, I, I I had really um, I think I'm 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 not I'm not thinking I made a postpartum depression when I was in France yeah. and was, it was only diagnosed probably at the end of my journey there um, because every time that somebody would tell me something about how I was dealing with something with Chloe I would start either to be hangry angry or to be crying or I was really on the nerves and I was like not reacting well and yeah so at the end before going back to Australia when I was trying to get all the medicine that I could get um, I also said oh but I'm really sensitive and I'm crying for a lot of things and people make me angry every time they're trying to give me advice I know I shouldn't be like that. It's the, the woman was like, yeah, you're probably doing a postpartum depression a little bit. So I don't know how long it has been, but it's probably for the entire 10 months that I was in France. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. But now that I'm here, I just don't have the time <laughs> to be angry or to be, yeah. It's just, so I don't know if I'm still on it or not, but yeah. <laughs> I don't have time for it. I can't be. I love it. <laughs> I can't be depressed. I have so many things to do. I'm sick. So no, no, no time. So but looking back on your journey now, is there anything that you think you'd wish you'd done differently or would change? Um, I think I would have still um, have had a round of um stimulation to get my eggs frozen mm -hmm. because I still have the hope of finding somebody um, and I'm just thinking even if I find somebody in two years maybe when I'm 40 I could still be looking to have a child with that person yeah. and I would need to use the eggs well now I have still 10 embryos in the freezer but wow. no no eggs so well if I find the right guy and I can't have a child with him properly, I would use an embryo, but I wouldn't be his kid. But so I would still have done both. Yeah. I'm still um, debating if I should freeze my eggs now and do a run just oh. of stimulation, but I don't know. I'm still, I don't, yeah. 
but that, that's what I was have started with probably to freeze just my eggs mm-hmm. um, because you never know and I'm still hopeful but yeah altogether I'm still lucky and very lucky to have had so many embryos and that the first transfer worked for me so I know it's a struggle for a lot of people so yeah I'm grateful for that definitely grateful um and otherwise I don't know probably the doula thing and the birth something could be changed but it was not in my hands or to make it any different so I think from what you've said I didn't use a doula but I think from what you've said like the postpartum doula if you've got a good one would be a really sensible idea if they looked after yeah. you the way that you thought that your original one was going to. So exactly, I guess otherwise get surrounded with good that... friends that are really have your wellness at heart, yeah. and it's just the most important thing. So and get ready for the postpartum because it was so enjoyable to have a meal that you just had to put in the microwave at yeah. night, and you know when you have it that your friends made it for you so it just has a different fa- flavor as well it tastes better yeah yeah definitely oh people like offered me like voucher for the dinner ladies i heard yeah. another person mention it but that's really good as well so yeah so do you think if you don't meet anyone that you would have another child on your own to give chloe a sibling um i think so yeah. uh, but i'm not I'm not decided on it just because all my friends are starting to have babies or like announcing they're pregnant. I'm just like, Oh, I really want to have another one. (laughs) Um, And also to have like probably a natural birth. I'm still hopeful for that as well. Um, And definitely to give a sibling to Chloe because I'm the uh, sister of two. So I have a brother and a sister and I'm just like, that would be so nice for her to have a sibling's to share a life with so just that she's not alone and um because I can see we have a unique relationship but I don't want to be too fusion with her like too fusional so um I don't know I'm still debating because that's a lot of cost and if I go on that journey I'm probably gonna go home because I would need the family support to have two kids on my own so but I'm not there yet (laughs) So not a simple decision at all. Yeah, not at all. And I, I, from hearing a lot of single mom that were already on your podcast, I'm not prepared. I, I didn't prepare really financially for that. So I don't own a home. I put saving on the side. Um, that's good. But it's just like, and I am an accountant, so that's the big joke, is that I should be prepared. I should have, but I'm not. I'm totally not. So, yeah, I have savings, but I would dream to have my own home um, to see them growing. But it's just always the eternal question is where do I buy? Is it in France? Is it in Australia? Where is it? Um, and will I go home for good at some point or not? So it's a lot of questions. <laughs> Um, yeah and so for anyone who is listening to your wonderful story and thinking maybe I can do this have you got any advice for them um no listen to your heart um I don't remember how life was before Chloe and I wouldn't like to remember it um I just know that I really really wanted to be a mum 
and that I didn't need anybody else. Uh, I'm good on my own. I'm able to take care of her, love her as much as two parents would. So just go for it. You see, I'm not even the owner of any um, home or anything, but it doesn't prevent me from taking care of Chloe. So, yeah, if you have the desire, the burning desire of becoming a mom, go for it. It's just there's no time to waste. What a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for sharing your story with everyone tonight. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.